hospitality of God. I've been encouraging over you over Lent to give something up. How many people have given up something for Lent? Oh, look at you. Aren't you a spiritual mob? That's great. And uh, um, how many people are finding it easy? Excellent. Excellent. I, I, I sat down this afternoon. I had about an, an hour and a half from my last thing to here, and I'm thinking, I'd really like to watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And you know what? I couldn't because I cannot let a stream TV at the moment for Lent. Anyway, that's just my, that's just my thing. We're in, we're in a Lenten program called The Radical Hospitality of God. We're looking at all the dinner situations, well, not all of them, but a lot of them, the dinner situations that Jesus finds himself in. If you've been travelling with us over the last couple of weeks, and I've got to say, if you haven't, then go back and listen to it online or um, podcast it. It's on Apple iTunes. Go back and have a listen. Because we see that, that Jesus in his state accepts uh, people that we kind of have in our mind that God wouldn't accept. Not, not because you know, we look at them and say, oh, they're a bad person, although there's those stories. But just the fact that we have those excuses in our mind why God won't accept us. And Jesus kind of blows them all out the water. And as we go along, you'll see that we will systematically go through all the things that we tell ourselves that why others or ourselves can't come into the presence of God and we'll see that Jesus just knocks them all over on the head. And tonight, we're going to be talking about Jesus welcoming busy people. How many people feel busy? Yeah, a few of you. Okay, so God welcomes you. Congratulations. You can just sit back and relax now. All of you who don't feel busy, you're in trouble. No, not at all. Not at all. <coughs> it's easy to feel busy, I think, in this day and age. I mean, one of the things that if you've been over into a third world country, um, or, you know, and you, you've experienced a simpler lifestyle, you realise that they're incredibly happiness in the, in the simplicity of life. And, uh, and while we've got more tools to help us do more things today, we seem to be busier and more stressed and more anxious than a lot of other people. You know, I remember my daughter coming home from Cambodia and it was two days before her birthday, the poor thing, and she goes, Dad, I don't want anything. I don't want a thing for my birthday. All I've seen is people who are incredibly happy with nothing. And I don't know why I want anything for my birthday. And then, you know, 24 hours she gave me a list. And... <laughs> And so we've got all these tools, we've got all these mobile devices, we've got all these communication things, we've got all these wonderful uh, transportation things that means that we're meant to be able to do things easier, but somehow we end up being busier and more stressed. And, uh, and so we can go through life and we can, we can wonder, you know, is this the pace that we're meant to live life at? You know, our, our jobs can ask more of us than what we think we're capable of giving and we're going, you just can't keep on asking me to do this, but it seems like they keep on doing it and somehow we come, keep on meeting it. We get home and, and, and then there's another line of expectations either from family or friends and, there's, and then we find ourselves looking at screens too late in the evening and not getting enough sleep and then waking up and thinking, how do I do this all over again? Am I relating to anyone here? 
tonight that we can just get ourselves into a little bit of busy. And we're going to look at a story today, and if you've been hanging around church for any period of time, you'll know the story. The story is of Martha and Mary, and I just want to pull it apart for us a little bit tonight so that we can see that God actually loves busy people, but it's going to be the right kind of busy. And so we're going to explore what that means uh, as we go through. So Megan uh, is going to bring it up. So it's from Luke 10, 38 to 42, not very long. It says, as Jesus was continuing, uh, continued on his way to Jerusalem, and whenever in the Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, whenever he says he's going to Jerusalem, it means that he's already pointed the fact that he's going to die. He's already mentioned it. He's already told his disciples. Uh, this is your theological lesson for the night, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus only goes to Jerusalem once. He goes three times in John, but once in those Gospels, and he's always going to die. And he's always already said to his disciples at some stage, I've got to suffer, I've got to die, so I can fulfill what God has for me. And so as he's going on, continued on their way to Jerusalem, and you can add in there the subtext, to die for yours and my sin... They came across a certain village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home, which is a beautiful thing to do. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. She was interested. God bless her cotton socks. She liked to listen to a preacher. I like people who like to listen to preachers. I don't know why. I just like them. They're beautiful people. And Mary was one of them. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. And she came to Jesus and said, Lord, it doesn't seem fit, does it, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Now, for those of you who have been uh, working with people, this is called triangulation. And triangulation basically means that when I want to tell Michelle something, but I don't have the guts to do it, or I don't think I've got the authority to do it, I'll I'll go to someone else like Stuart and say, Stuart, Michelle should be doing this and she's not doing it. You go and tell Michelle that she should do it. It's called triangulation. So I'm trying to get my point across to Michelle, but I'm using a third person to do it. That's what Martha's doing here. Jesus. I'm going to pull in the big guy. I'm going to pull into the one that she's listening to and go, Jesus, make Mary come and do what I want her to do. But the Lord didn't answer it the way that she was hoping that he would answer it. He didn't enter into that kind of relationship because every time you enter into that relationship, it becomes toxic. So whenever anyone comes to you and says, will you talk to somebody else on my behalf, realise that it's, um, it's a triangulation and don't do it. I'll, I'll, I could say, if anything I could give you as a piece of wisdom tonight, that's it. 
I could say that, but I won't, because hopefully there's more wisdom in what I'm going to share with you with that. But, but if, if you just want a bit of advice about how not to get stuck in messy relationships, stay out of triangulation. So Jesus replies to her, he says, Dear Martha, it's almost a sigh and a shake of the head, oh, Dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about and Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken from her. Now over the years, this Bible passage has been preached to the fact that people who are being busy out in the kitchen and not sitting at the feet of Jesus are the bad people. And I want to flip it a little bit tonight and say that God loves the busy people because Jesus was really happy with Martha being out in the kitchen until she tried the triangulation. Until she tried to enforce her will upon someone else. And then Jesus says, no, 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 no. She's okay. And it really highlights that there are two types of people uh, that kind of... There are those people who love to be busy and then those people who love to be uh, contemplative. So there are people who get energy out of just doing things. I married one. I understand them. They're beautiful. I love you. Every one of you who feels like you just want to be busy all the time doing stuff because that helps you feel okay and and helps you um, do what you think you're created to do, I'm all for. And then there's another group of people who are a little bit more contemplative, who like to sit and ponder the universe. I'm a little bit more like that. And with both of these things, both with the Mary and the Martha, if they're, if they're done well, if they're done healthily, they are great things. If they're done unhealthily, they become destructive things. And so just as, as Martha is highlighted here, Mary, if, if people are... are Uh, just saying, I'm just going to sit and do nothing. The Bible says a lot about that. And says that if you sit and do nothing, you are destined to decay. Just read Proverbs. It's full of it. If you do not get on and do work, you do yourself and your community a disservice. There's a lot in the Bible about working hard. So this passage is not about saying Martha's working and Mary's contemplative and so Mary is good and Martha is bad. No, 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 no. It's saying when when the the, the Marthas are doing what they're meant to be doing well and the Marys are doing what they're meant to be well, everything happens properly. And so if you're just sitting and not working, the, the scriptures will say that that evil comes to you. That you, you just leave yourself open for distraction and for doing things that are unhelpful for your life. And, and it says that if you're busy, then uh, uh, working, that working is good for your soul if you do it right. This is what it says in 2 Thessalonians. It says this. This is Paul writing to the Thessalonian church. He said, even while we're with you, we gave this this command, those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Imagine that. Don't work, you don't eat. 
There's old school thinking for you. Yeah, we hear some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in each other's business. So there it is. We command such people, urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, bringing in the big guns, to settle down and work to earn their own living. So what is it saying? Saying that work is not bad, work is great, but if you're idle, what's going to happen is you're just going to end up gossiping, you're going to end up um, getting distracted by uh, unhelpful things, and your soul will decay. And so, so Paul says, get out and work find something to do that is beneficial for your time. Volunteer if you can't find paid work. Whatever it is, get out and do it. So if you're in that boat, I encourage you, find some ways in which to work because God's not against work, God is for it. In fact, in the very beginning of the Bible, our job was in, in Genesis 2, before the fall, was to cultivate the garden. So even when we were in paradise, you and I were designed to work. Something about that we need to do. And I saw this in my dad before he died, as he retired and as he became less mobile, you could see that a part of him was diminishing because he couldn't do the things that he used to be able to do that gave him worth and significance. And because he wasn't a Christian and because he didn't like me talking to him about things of faith, because he'd just say, shut up, Barry, uh, I couldn't tell him that God had something for him. So it's important that we work. But then work is different from being busy. Work is different from being busy because we can be busy doing this and that and we can actually use busyness as an idol. We can use busyness as a way in which we can say that um, as a bit of a a badge of honour and and people who are ministers are really good at this. How are you doing? I'm busy. Like, Like that's something to be prized. Like busyness means that you're doing something of worth. And can't we just keep on saying to people, we're busy, we're busy, we're busy, and we use it as an excuse and we elevate it up a little bit to say, I'm doing something worthwhile because I don't have time to do anything else. And we can wrap our identity up in the fact that we are being busy instead of wrapping our identity up in being God's And one of the statistics that's fascinating is that people now say that being regular at church is two times a month because we shouldn't expect anything else from people because they're too busy. Because they've got kids doing sporting programs and, and, and things do, happening here and social events happening there. And I just look at it and I go, it's not busy, it's priorities. And so we can use busyness as an excuse, as an idol. In fact, we can use busyness as an idol to say, you know what, I know that God is talking to me about this, this and this, but you know what, I'm just too busy. I know that God wants me to deal 
with this thing that's going on in my life, but you know what? I'll get around to it one day, but today, I've got too much on. You know, as I was writing this busy sermon, it was the busiest week I've had in a long time, which is really funny, where things just crowd on, and it happens in life that times we just get busy, but when we use busyness as an idol, it actually makes us unhealthy. Because we replace the focus on busyness and we can um, replace God with the sense of being busy. And there are even some of us, probably not in this room, but some of us who like to be busy because it stops us thinking. We're always going to have some noise going on in our ears, something in front of our eyes, something going on because if we stop we're afraid of what the words that we're going to hear in the silence and so we keep on running keep on doing keep on watching keeping on listening because we don't want to stop because we're afraid of what we're going to deal with if we do. That just hit home a little bit harder than what I thought it would. But that's not God's desire for you and for me. God's desire for you and for me is that we will be people who, yes, work hard, don't fall into temptation but don't use busyness as an idol and a distraction. And to be healthy people, there's a couple of things that I want to encourage you to explore. The first one is to be a healthy person and work hard, you've got to rest hard. And one of the things we've lost in this world is the whole concept of a Sabbath, a whole concept of stopping a whole concept of giving our hearts and our minds and our souls a break. And there's got to be a time that if we do not stop and deal with the stuff that we need to deal with, if we don't stop and replenish our soul, we just become angry and bitter and confused and worn out and grumpy and angry and we start getting angry with people that we love instead of blessing them. And I wonder if you're a person who is running, a person who's always busy, or even if you're a contemplative person but you're just filling your life with stuff so you don't feel and you don't have to deal with stuff. What would it mean to stop? Kelly's reading a, a, a book at the moment and she outlined to me in one of our, as we we're just talking about faith and life and stuff as a husband and wife, she said, you know, I've been reading this book on resting and she said, look at the list of things that they say that you should stop and rest in and so I thought I'd bring them to you tonight. If you want to know the name of the book, see Kelly. It says here that we should rest physically. That's a no-brainer. That's what we think Sabbath is meant to be about. We should rest mentally. 
which means that we should give our, our brains an opportunity to stop, to stop thinking about work, to stop thinking about stuff and to just be. Then we need to rest spiritually, to sit in God's presence and not feel like we have to tell God stuff all the time but to take the image of God being a father or a parent and that we are his children and we just sit on his lap and just enjoy his company. That emotionally we rest. That means dealing with all our emotional baggage so that we can be at peace. That we socially rest. That means we don't cram our calendar full of social functions but we give ourselves a break. Creative rest. That's actually an active thing about what kind of creative things can you do that regenerates your soul. And this one, sensory rest, which I love, because that's turning off all your screens. And just being. That's quite a list, isn't it? Physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, social, creative, sensory. And, and what I think this book is trying to say to you and to me is that we're just going to start turning stuff off at least once a week. We need to unplug all the stuff that's going on in our lives. We've got to enable ourselves to regain our health and our vitality through rest. See, we can work hard, but if we keep on working hard and keep on being busy and don't rest, we'll become less efficient in everything that we do. So we've got to rest hard. I love again in the creation story that it says that on the sixth day he created man and on the seventh day what did he do? He rested. So he created man and woman on day six and the first job he gave him to do was to rest. So we know God's Australian because the first thing he did was institute a public holiday and just say, have the day off. You know, I've just created you, put you in this garden, now have a day off. That sounds good. How do you go with rest? What's God saying to you about how you organise your life and how you rest? The other thing that I think healthy people do is realise that work is worship. I think healthy people who work hard They rest hard, but they also realise that work is worship. And 1 Corinthians has a little passage in it, and he's talking about eating food, but it really does come to apply for everything. It says, so whatever you eat and drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So they're saying, don't worry about what you're eating, but what you eat, do it for the glory of God. In fact, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. That we should 
come to a point of understanding that when we are working hard, we are doing it for God's glory. That we're doing it as an act of worship. In fact, uh, a guy called uh, John Mark uh, Comer uh, wrote a book called The Garden City and he unpacks God's world from the story of Genesis. And he says that the Hebrew word, abad, basically is the same word that is used for work and for worship. It's the same word. That there is not a separation like we come to church and worship and then we go out the rest of the week and work. But that there is a combining of the two to say that when we are in a healthy place, when we are well rested, when we've got our life in balance and when we see that what we do is for the glory of God, then it becomes an attitude of worship, not just getting money to put in the bank to do what God wants us to do. And so here we have this story of Mary and Martha. We have Martha working away in the kitchen and we have Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and, and, and they're both doing what they're created to do and, uh, and they're doing it great until Martha gets to a point of going, you know what, this is just not fair. And she, she starts to ponder in her mind and think to myself, I'm doing the work, my sister's not. I'm doing the work, my sister's not. I'm doing the work, my sister's not. And it starts becoming a duty and it starts becoming an effort and it starts becoming an obligation and it goes from being an act of worship to an act of something else. And the last thing that I want to bring to you just before you fall asleep in the warm room is that uh, if you want to be a healthy person when it comes to this area, then you've got to trust God hard. You see, the story just a little bit before this one is Jesus feeding the 5,000. Where he took a couple of fish and a couple of loaves and he fed thousands and thousands of people. Here's Martha slaving in the kitchen thinking that she needs to do it all herself. And she too could have been sitting at the feet of Jesus if she wanted to be and saying, Lord, you can take care of the food. And so what happens when we can get into an unhealthy place of busyness is that we can think that everything is reliant on us. We can start getting out of balance and thinking that even God can't do what he needs to do unless we are busy doing what we need to do. But when we're in a healthy place and we can trust God, then God, uh, then we, we trust that God can just do what God needs to do. And we can get about our work, but we can just be praying and trusting that God is going to make happen what needs to happen. So I'm wondering in your life, what are you trying to do in your own strength that really that God should be doing? What are you trying to make happen? There really is God's job to make it, to do. 
What are you trying to influence? That's, a, that's meant to be God's job. So I want to encourage you that busy people are welcome. But that God wants us to be healthy busy. And to be healthy busy we need to do this. We need to work hard. We need to rest hard. And we need to trust hard. And then we'll be healthy. Stop using busyness as an excuse. And step into the wholeness that God has for you. Will you stand to your feet with me, please? Let's pray together. Loving God, there's some of us in this room tonight who have made busyness our idol. We've used it, Lord, as an excuse not to deal with the things in our hearts and in our minds that you want us to deal with. And I thank you, Lord, that you love us anyway and that you welcome us anyway. And Lord, you call us into a healthier place, a fuller place. Pray for those people in the room, Lord, who struggle to trust you. And I thank you that you love them anyway. And I ask, Lord, that you'll help them to lay down the things in their life that they think that they have to work on, which are really your job. And will you birth in them a fresh trust in you? that you have them, that you can feed the 5,000, that you can do the miracle. I pray for those in the room, Lord, who are struggling to know what it means. Struggling to know what it means to have a life that is full and with purpose. And I pray, Lord, that you will make a way in their lives to get the employment that they need, to get the um, to uh, to get uh, the activity that they need, Lord. So sin does not crouch at their door. So Lord, bless these guys and be with them in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Sing a little song. You can do it for 90s.